0: Warning, the following episode contains adult language, discussion of miracles, arranged marriages, Channing Tatum, and the disclosure of at least one Bible-approved stoning. Sensitive listeners, take care.
1: So here's a confession I'm going to make right at the top of the show. I don't believe in astrology, but astrology keeps happening to me. Now, everyone says podcasting is the most visual medium. So I made you a slideshow to try to explain. This is the real Skyline Drive. It's in Delaware. And growing up, when I couldn't sleep, it's one of the many places I would drive to look at the stars. This is the moon. It rules our emotions. This is Mercury in retrograde. You know it because it makes life miserable. (laughs) This is Rahu and Ketu. They're important and mischievous nodes in Vedic astrology. They're prominent in Donald Trump's horoscope, and they're also responsible for Paris Hilton. This is me. I was born May 1st, 1979. This is the sky at the time I was born. In Western astrology, it makes me a Taurus. These are some other Tauruses. Pol Pot, Ayatollah Khomeini, Saddam Hussein, Adolf Hitler, Barbara Streisand. The fact that we're all Tauruses has made me doubt astrology for a very long time. These are my parents. They've been hitched 51 years, and every morning, my dad makes my mom a cup of tea, and then they sit and do the spelling bee in pencil. It's adorable, right? These are my parents calling in the middle of this recording.
2: Hey, if I think your girl is calling back. Give me a call.
1: This is India, When I was growing up, words like yoga and meditation and turmeric and astrology, these were words that were part of my Indian life, but they weren't a part of my going to school, fitting into America one. But now, now everyone has an opinion about it.
3: I'm a Gemini,
4: which I've heard is bad. I'm a Libra, so I'm indecisive. That's definitely true. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I'm a tourist. I find the stars to be beautiful. It sucks that we can't see the stars in New York because all the lights.
5: I, I know a few people who are kind of into it and they like ask, yo, did you see the horoscope today? And I'm like, nah, bro, not really. I'm not worried about what the horoscope says.
4: I know a lot of people don't believe in it, but why can't people just believe in things for fun? Like it doesn't have to be backed up by anything. If you believe in fantasy football, why can't you believe in astrology?
1: A few months ago, my friends and I set out to make this show about astrology. We wanted to run around the city and have some wild adventures and understand why, after so many millennia, people still look to the sky for answers. This is an astrologer I met in Queens. He promised me you're gonna dig this show.
2: I think if you do your own show, you'll become a super hit, no doubt about it.
1: This is a graph of how much I believed in astrology before our session. Not that much. This is a graph of how much I started believing 30 minutes later, when something horrible he said came true.
2: That's why I asked, again, from the time we started a couple of years back, till now, situation doesn't look good.
1: This is me traveling halfway around the world to answer the biggest question of my entire life. This is a shop in India where your fortune is waiting for you. It was written centuries ago and put on a shelf, and the shopkeepers know which one to pull because it's coded by your thumbprint, and the time you're going to walk through that door. This, this is me walking through that door. I'm Mungesh Shatikulur from Kaleidoscope and iHeartRadio. This is Skyline Drive. one, leave your axe at home.
5: So I figured, uh, you know, I do need to stone an astrologer. And there are a bunch of astrologers on the Upper West Side who have set up these. <laughs> Wait, so you're looking for an astrologer to stone? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I need to check it off the list. I've got a hundred. You know,
1: already this stuff. reporting is starting off weirder than I thought. It's ten o'clock on a bright summer day, and I'm standing here with AJ Jacobs. I am an author and a journalist and a Pisces. In addition to being a Pisces, or technically on the cusp of Pisces and Aries, AJ is a friend, and he's one of my favorite writers. I've come to meet him in this neighborhood because in 2007 he wrote a New York Times bestseller called The Year of Living Biblically. The book was a phenomenon. It came out in multiple languages. There were magazine and TV pieces about it. It was such a big deal that at one point, Marlon Wayans was lined up to play AJ in the network TV version. The premise was that I would
5: follow all the rules of the Bible as literally as possible. So that meant the famous ones like the Ten Commandments and Love Your Neighbor, but also the lesser known ones like... You cannot wear clothes made of two different kinds of fabrics. So I had to get rid of all of my polycotton blend.
1: Giving up polycotton blends is just one of the hardships AJ endured in the name of journalism. He also grew a massive beard, shoved a wild bird so he could steal its egg and say a prayer on it. And he followed 700 other biblical rules, literally, in an attempt to understand religion. And somewhere along the way, he decided that to fully appreciate the Bible, you actually had to
5: stone people who committed these abominations, and the abominations include adultery, breaking the Sabbath, but also astrology, witchcraft, divination, they're all sort of lumped together.
1: Just the fact that he decided to stone someone was a shock to me. I mean, AJ is one of the nicest people I know, but that's how committed he was. I didn't want to go to jail
5: for assault. I just wanted to check it off my list. You know, stone an astrologer, check. So I walked by this astrologer on the street and just very subtly dropped the pebble so that it landed on her shoe. Kind of a drive-by stoning. And I was thinking, she's probably not even gonna notice because I just kept walking. Oh, she noticed. And she's like, what, what's going on? Why did you do that? And so I, I had to tell the truth because I was following the Bible. I thought maybe she'll think it's funny. She did not think it's funny. She was pissed. She started yelling at me like, F you, go to f and hell. I was rattled. Even if you're trying to stone someone in modern day using pebbles, people don't like it. That's a lesson. That's a takeaway.
1: (laughs) Rule number one, don't stone an astrologer. It wasn't the advice I'd come for, but I wrote it down anyway. But the thing I really wanted to know the reason I traveled all the way out here to meet with AJ was to ask him how to make the show. Because doing a show on astrology, it actually makes me nervous. Like, is there a way to talk about how accurate a fortune-telling parrot could possibly be? Or is there a way to joke about whether an astro curse can make you bald? Because even if the show makes me look silly, like, I don't want to get disinvited from a family wedding because... I said something that hurt friends or family or really anyone who puts stock in these subjects. As I'm trying to uncover threads and things, like, how do you tell a story delicately where you're not offending people, but still engaging with all the subject?
5: I had that exact dilemma when I was writing The Year of Living Biblically because I was coming in as an agnostic, writing about religion. My big overall advice is... Go in with deep curiosity. Don't go in with an agenda that you're trying to disprove or prove astrology. You're just an explorer. So just go in like with no axe. Leave your axes at home. That
1: I think I can do After the break, we talk to an astrologer who doesn't believe in astrology. Take a subway ride to Queens and hear this from my mom.:
4: I felt like a juicy cow.
6: <laughs> ready okay give me a beach beach give me great food tacos give me adventure Hiking. give me a date night sunset cruise give me some smiles cheese
0: And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com.
3: Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with a limited talk and text compared to lowest-cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024.
1: Chapter 2. Just for funds.
0: Is the phone listening? Is that, are you listening through the phone pattern? AI, the algorithm that is the pattern?
1: Back in 2020, one of my friends shot me a text linking to this video of Channing Tatum. The actor had uploaded it himself after using an astrology app called The Pattern. But when Channing's readings became a little too spot on, he freaked out.
0: Are you listening through my phone and then just regurgitating the stuff that I'm afraid of? And the stuff, you know what, Pattern people, you should just call me. I need answers right now.
1: Poor Channing. I don't know if he ever got his answers, but what I do know is that astrology is ubiquitous and lucrative. One venture capital investor told the New York Times that the app CoStar, this pattern competitor, had the potential to be a $24 billion business, claiming it could one day be as big as Spotify. But if astrology is as big an opportunity as everyone's saying, I'm wondering if my company should get in on the act. After all, it feels so obvious that, I don't know, even a nine-year-old could see the potential. So I decided to try the pitch out on my nine-year-old, Ruby. Hey, Oni, why did you bring me to this closet? <laughs> I brought you to this closet because I wanted to pitch you on an astrology app. Are you ready for it? <laughs> why is that? What, what, what do you think about astrology?
8: It's dumb.
1: Oh, gosh. Well, maybe uh, you're not the right person for it, but the reason I came to you is because... You actually have a bank. You spend only my money. You seem to hoard all your money and you keep all of Henry's money as well, which you charge him a small fee for. So I thought you might be the savviest person in this family. Is it okay if I pitch you an astrology app? Okay. So here's my case for it these aren't your grandmother's horoscopes, right? They're talking to you in this very fresh and fun way. Uh, They're up to the minute with NASA data. Uh, They look beautiful and they have a chat feature where astrologers will chat with you live about your birth charts, right? And then by 2019, Right. Like you could see astrology are starting to take over um, Bumble, this dating app. They started allowing you to sort your matches by their birth signs. So like you could say, like, I only want to date Tauruses or I only want to date Geminis or whatever. In fact, astrology in 2019 was a $2.2 billion market. What do you think about that?
6: Mind blown. <laughs>
1: I can't tell whether you're serious or not, but, uh, but apps made $40 million that year. And in fact, the next year when COVID really hit, people started searching for birth charts and astrology. Both of those searches hit five-year peaks on Google. So it's no wonder that all these venture capital funds had started investing in astrology apps early and then continued to invest. Um and I'm here to ask you to invest in my astrology app. What do you think?
5: Oh, uh, I know. I'm spending all my money on a skateboard, not on you.
1: I, okay. Well, uh, so Ruby, what type of business would you invest in?
8: Bubblegum. <laughs> okay. Chapter 3, Truth and Poetry.
1: go out with a recorder in hand it's interesting to see who'll talk on tape we found scientists at NASA who actually wouldn't talk about their interest in astrology to us because they were afraid of losing their jobs we found PhDs and postdocs who were worried that if they talked at all to our podcast even to say that astrology was nonsense they would face professional repercussions I mean it is insanity what a lightning rod astrology can be but luckily we found Jamie Green
3: My grandfather showed me a little half of a peanut that had the germ in it. And he said, that's going to become a plant. And it was just things like that that got me interested in the world, which is the same as being interested in science.
1: Jamie is a celebrated science writer
3: and... I'm a Sagittarius, although you would not know it from looking at anything about my life. (laughs) I've got some planet in Capricorn that explains why I'm not an impulsive adventurer.
1: She has a new book coming out called The Possibility of Life, and she's co-editor of the annual Best American Science and Nature Writing volumes. And whether it's chatting about our garden or the way we perceive constellations, her capacity for wonder is incredible and infectious. But perhaps what I love most about Jamie was how she clarified that science and astrology don't actually have to be at odds with one another, that we don't need science to disprove astrology. Not that she thinks astrology is a science, exactly.
3: Scientifically, in terms of astronomy, astrology doesn't hold a lot of meaning because it's all very human-centric from the point of view of looking at the stars from Earth.
1: The stars are light years apart. They have no real relation to each other except in our minds. But that relationship, the one we make up while looking up at the stars, that means something. Or it can mean something. If you want it
3: to. It's like a much more eloquent, poetic, personal fortune cookie. And I don't mean that disparagingly. I just think that it's for you to take from it what you need. And like we don't think it's anti-science to say a poem is true. I think that's where science gets defensive is when people say that astrology is a science and has physical roots in the stars. It's like, oh no, it doesn't. But it's true the way a poem is true.
1: I can't tell you how much I love that. I mean, as someone who's a skeptic, but also a romantic, this idea that astrology is true the same way a poem is true, that feels right to me. And it's something my friend Pete also said when I talked to him. Pete's deal is, well, it's complicated.
8: So like, even though I was like a semi successful like musician, I was like, I need to make money somehow. Like right now, like what other skills
1: do I have? Oh, I know to do astrology. Pete is a rock star, like a real rock star. He used to be in the Walkman, All
6: these in
5: All
1: these in that massive seminal indie rock band. And yes, his backup career was professional astrology. When he was younger, he trained with this big, famous guru. He was living in his guest house, and that's where he learned to read star charts.
8: You would take him back to him, and he would say, like, no, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, you're wrong. You know, and then he kind of in very traditional style, like, yell at the apprentice sort of thing. Like I a mean, kung
1: fu master. Right, like very,
8: very karate kid kind of
1: feeling, right? <laughs> Daniel-san! Daniel-san! But here's the other thing. Pete doesn't even believe in astrology. He's a rock star who does astrology for politicians and World Bank economists and all sorts of interesting folks, but he doesn't believe in it. It's just art to me. And I don't mean
8: that dismissively, Like, but that's like my whole being. Like, It's what I care about.
1: What he believes really is in a more vivid reality, a kind of embroidered view of the world. Pete and I both spent formative years in India. And we have a certain comfort in the magical,
8: if you read like a hundred years of solitude or something, like that world of, like, this kind of magical Columbia, you know, it's like that felt very similar in a lot of ways to how we were raised.
1: Magical explanations have been woven throughout my life. like, why was my family's little community in India so well off a century ago? You could say it's because of luck or global economics. You could say it's because when the civil war was happening in the US, England actually needed more sources of cotton to replace all the cotton that the US had been producing. And my family, they just happened to be in the right place to manage mills and plant cotton on their land. Or you could tell the story in a way that's way, way more magical. That a great great ancestor had this powerful vision from a goddess that if he chanted a simple string of prayers every single night, and he taught all his children to sing it, and they taught all their children, his people would be protected for years. And for most of my life, I only knew that second story. Shanta Durge Chapter 4. Mopeds and Miniskirts Arranged marriage has always been this thing that's hard for me to talk about. When I first moved to Delaware, kids at my elementary school had all these questions for me about being Indian, right? Like, does your family sleep on a bed of nails? Can you charm snakes? Just, you know, these things they'd seen on cartoons. And arranged marriage was just another one of these questions I'd have to field. Except, this one actually bothered me. More because this time, I'd have to admit that, yes, my parents did have an arranged marriage. And then I'd have to explain it. The thing is, everyone assumed my mom and dad were like forcibly paired off when they were nine years old and then sent away to work and have kids. And that isn't true. It's like my parents' situation was a little more like Pride and Prejudice. Like you come from a good family. Your parents want you to marry into another good family. So they set you up. They make introductions to certain people. And if you like each other... They kind of fast track the marriage or they make more introductions. But since this was already super hard to explain, I, I just left out the part of astrology, which also plays a big role in the whole arranged marriage thing. It was like, I, I don't know, just too difficult or embarrassing. Something. After all, it's, it's a weird thing to have to admit you only exist because of astrology, but I'll let my mom explain. Tell me about how your marriage was arranged.
4: Oh, (laughs) that's funny. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Umesh's aunt, Shardaka, she came to see Amma because she'd heard that, you know, I was available, I guess.
1: This story starts, of course, with two families dusting off their kids' horoscopes and handing them off to a trusted astrologer. Not some low-level quack.
4: So they matched it, and it matched perfectly.
1: The traditional Indian matching system is way more complicated than just saying, is he a Scorpio? A proper celestial marriage is supposed to be a union of souls. So the astrologers inspect all the vagaries of your chart and pressure test everything, like your personalities, your feelings about class and status, even how a couple's health will be affected by one another. It's all on the scale of 36 points, and any match under 18 points shouldn't be considered. But anything over 32... That's something you want to lock down immediately.
4: My parents want to make sure that the man I married did not yell at me. She asked the astrologer, you know, how is his nature? So the astrologer told Amma that Umesh was a gentle creature, you know, never lost his temper.
1: So this part is 100% true. I've only ever heard my dad yell a handful of times. And most of that was when our dog Lupini would just race out of the house and he would run after her with this like slice of Kraft Singles cheese, just waving it to try to tempt her back. And it always worked because she was super greedy.
4: But one fault he'd have is never come on time to the table to have dinner. And we thought it was a big joke, and that came true. We couldn't believe that astrology could be that powerful (laughs) 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 to tell a quirk like that.
1: Mm -hmm. Wasn't there something else with the mother-in-law?
4: The mother-in-law, yes. They said that I would be best for a boy that did not have a mother. Why is that? I really don't know. They said it was something to do with the stars. And if I had a mother-in-law, it wouldn't go well. (laughs) So here, Umesh had lost his mother when he was under a year, I think for just about a year. So it was perfect.
1: This is something I think about a lot, how astrology accounts for everything. My dad had an ayah or a nanny, but he never had a mother. His life was a series of hostels and boarding schools, sometimes in cities hundreds of miles from his home. It makes me sad to think about, but if his mom had survived, my parents would never have been together. Astrology would have made sure of that. Anyway, back to my mom. Even though my grandmom was working really hard to set her up, my mom was not keen to get married.
4: I wasn't ready. I was still studying. And I was in my final year for master's, I was studying linguistics. I didn't want to give that up. And I didn't want to get married that fast. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I felt like a juicy cow. <laughs> I wasn't happy. And things were really moving faster than I ever expected. So I said, I'm going to foil this.
1: So just to get the picture, a typical woman hoping for a match would be waiting, sitting by her parents, dressed in a sari or something traditional, like making a big show of what a quiet and obedient wife they could be. And instead.
4: I had a miniskirt on and I had a a lambretta. I wrote that and came.
1: Oh, and she's also late. Like, my mom is the most punctual person I know. She gets to the airport three hours ahead of time, and that's since I was a kid. So she's clearly trying to tank this thing.
4: And I, my hair, I'd let it loose and it was curly, wasn't done. But instead, you know, Umesh said, Oh, that's no problem. We love modern girls.
1: What type of woman do you think Amama was expecting to present? <laughs>
4: She wanted them to know that I was absolutely sensitive and very loving, very kind and gentle with everyone and an animal lover.
1: But my grandmom was also incredibly honest, so she was sure to tell my dad's family this.
4: I had no interest in cooking.
1: (laughs) Anyway, despite my mom's lack of interest in the kitchen and her dramatic attempt to topple this whole affair, she somehow still won my dad's family over.
4: So Amma said, here's the deal. Let him write to you. If you don't like him, it's fine. He was a charming writer. He was a charming writer.
1: So they wrote letters back and forth for a year. And when they finally met in person?
4: You know, he looked so vulnerable that I said, ah, this is great. I can handle him.
1: My parents don't have a perfect marriage, but there are lots of wonderful bits. Things that make me think those 32 points mean something. Like, once, when they were young, they visited Paris, and they went to dinner at this fancy restaurant with a ballroom, and an orchestra started playing, and no one was dancing. Crickets. So my dad just whisked my mom onto the dance floor, and then slowly, everyone in the place joins in. And when my parents went back to their table, the band leader had actually sent them this gorgeous bottle of brandy to say thank you for livening the place up and for getting everyone dancing. I mean, if astrology can promise you those sorts of scenes, like, who wouldn't listen? Of course, astrology has done damage in the family, too. Here's my mom telling me about an arranged marriage gone wrong.
4: My cousin Nana, the girl that they looked for, the horoscope matched with him. Who's your cousin Nana? Nana from Mangalore, Nali Pachisan. So there was a danger of his brother dying if the girl married Nana.
1: The astrologers had predicted that if the couple went through with the marriage, even though their horoscopes matched, it could lead to Nanu's brother's death. I mean, who wants that on their hands, even if it's putting your chances for love at risk?
4: So to this day, he's still a bachelor.
1: Really? Oh, wow. Mm. What do you think about that?
4: It's a shame. Yeah. They could have found other girls. But he, he just was dejected. He said, no more girls, no more horoscopes. So he's still a bachelor. That's heartbreaking. Man. It is, really is, yeah.
1: After chatting with my mom, two things occurred to me. First, the chasm between the way Americans and Indians use astrology, that only felt wider. Like no app was going to tell you to quit your MBA to marry some guy in America or to break it off with this girl because it could bring bad luck or death to another family member. Like the starkness of the way Indian astrology can be used to control lives. It felt so dark, but also pretty intriguing. Like it only made me want to dig in more. And the second thing I remembered is this piece of advice AJ gave me about really embracing the show.
5: I think you gotta go all in. So you got to hire an astrologer to help you with the show. Like, Figure out when you should start. When should the air date be? Who should you hire to help you? Should it be a Virgo or a Capricorn? Like, go for it, because that's one way to test it is to see, does it work for you?
1: So I decided to find an Indian astrologer and solve both problems. I could lean into my Indian side, and also have some fun with it. But what I didn't know was that that visit was going to change my life.
7: If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
0: Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers,
1: Chapter 5, we go to Queen's. On April 9th, I headed to Queen's to meet an astrologer. He's someone my friend and showrunner for the show Mary recommended that I reach out to. And coincidentally, he happened to be an astrologer that my cousin Aditya had used. Hey, how you?
5: Hey, how's it going? How you? Good, good.
1: Adith is another rational type. He's kind of this white shoe lawyer, masters from Cambridge, and he used this astrologer in a difficult time. And apparently the predictions had proven accurate, so Adith actually wanted to see him again. So I took a train to Jackson Heights to meet Dr. Rakesh Kumar, and we entered his white wood frame office from the outside. It's kind of nondescript, like this row house. But when you open the door, you immediately sense these temple-like vibes. So I took off my shoes at the entrance, walked through a fog of sweet sandalwood, and there were these massive photos of his guru on the wall. And then I I turned into this tiny room with a wooden desk, and it had a giant stack of books on it with a little black laptop on top. Looking around, I realized how fun this is. I'm here on this field trip with my cousin, this astrology adventure, and I'm so ready to hear some ridiculous things and enjoy this experience. Dr. Kumar very sweetly welcomes me in. He closes his emails, and then, using the information I'd sent him a few days before, he pulls up my chart and turns on his recorder.
2: So, Mungesh, looking at the chart, May 1st, 1979, 12.04 12.04 in the afternoon in Summit, New Jersey. You were born on a Tuesday. You have the sign cancer rising at the I've
1: got to say, I was a little surprised by how quickly Dr. Kumar dives in. It seems like he's just staring at a bunch of numbers on his screen, but he's interpreting them kind of like Neo from The Matrix. And I'm curious to hear my reading, but what I really want to do is ask Dr. Kumar about the show. I thought it'd be fun if there were these auspicious dates for my podcast, or if you could predict something about how many people would listen. But first, he had some questions for me.
2: So how's work been since January 2020? Um,
1: that's when I decided to, to quit my job.
2: Okay. So. so either you would have quit your job or the job would have quit you, one of the things. <laughs> because the times were such... Because it impacts your karma-shetra, your work area. It's so ironic you come here today. Four days from now, April 13th onwards, thereafter, a new chapter of your life begins, another beginning of your life, which will be very good.
1: This is what I came for. I write down April 13th in my notebook and I circle it big. Four days from now, that's the date I'm going to get started on my show. Dr. Kumar continues with more work-related things. He says foreign travel is in the cards, which is super exciting, and that I should wear an emerald to improve my communication skills, which is funny. I make a note to do an episode on gems and Vedic astrology down the line. But the best part is that Dr. Kumar seems to think this whole podcast will go really well.
2: So it's very profound. So you'll make it big in life. You'll be very successful in everything. Because your planets show that.
1: I'm so excited about all this tape, getting a start date for the show, the talk of gems, this prediction that everything might go well, that I'm caught off guard by Dr. Kumar's next question, which comes out of nowhere.
2: Tell me something about your father. Um, Like what he did for work, or still does. He's a chemical engineer. Okay. He's retired. He's
1: ill right now. Listening back, I don't know why I mentioned my dad was ill. Dr. Kumar hadn't asked, and maybe it's because I was trying to participate fully? Like, I thought I should let him know. Years ago, my dad was diagnosed with cancer, but he actually sailed through that treatment, and he's been cancer-free for a while now. But recently, he broke a rib reaching for something, which was odd. And then he also had this slight boost in some liver counts, Which his doctor told him not to worry about.
2: Because that's why I asked, again, from the time it started a couple of years back till now, uh, situation doesn't look good for father. There is risk to father.
1: This thing about my dad, it was a throwaway line in the middle of an hour and a half interview. I don't even know how closely I was listening. By the time we hit stop on the recorder, I was thrilled. I had over an hour of material, and I was cutting tape in my head as I was asking questions, and I, don't know, I felt good. I thanked Dr. Kumar for his time, and I let him run off to feed his mother lunch, which he does every day. And my cousin and I walked off to get fresh dosas and idlis at one of the many canteens that dot this area of Jackson Heights. Open. Good.
5: Table for two. two. All right, Thank you. Thank you.
1: And then 20 minutes into chatting and laughing and debating what's real about astrology and what isn't. And how can you even tell, right? I received this email from my dad. It read, we just received the results of the MRCP testing. Unfortunately, the news is not as good as it could be. We'll talk to Dr. Thomas and Dr. Shakur and let you know as soon as we can. Study result." diffuse metastatic disease throughout the liver and bones from unknown primary. The cancer had metastasized through my dad's liver and bones. I don't know what it means, but I've forgotten about astrology. I don't care about emeralds or whether any of this feels embarrassing anymore. My stomach drops. I can't finish my chai. I don't know what to write, so I just tap out. I'm so sorry, Dad. I'll call you back in a bit. And all I'm thinking now is how fast can I get to Atlanta? Next week on Skyline Drive, we take a train to Bay Ridge, meet a therapist who secretly uses astrology behind her clients' backs, and hang out with a 74-year-old who just wants to know,
4: am I ever going to have
1: sex with somebody again? And we use astrology to get her an answer. Thank you so much for listening. I have so many people to thank. Skyline Drive is a production of Kaleidoscope and iHeart Podcast. The show is hosted and written by me, Mangesh Hatikulur, with a ton of help, like so much help from these wonderful people. Mary Phillips-Sandy is our cat-loving supervising producer. Mitra Bunshahi produced this whole thing despite my constantly getting in the way. Mark Lotto is our incredible story editor who even suffered a trip to India with me. This episode was mixed by my pal at Soundboard with scoring from Botany. The song Yola Mango is my absolute favorite. Um, the insane music in between is courtesy of Azadi Records, Himanshu Suri, and Peter Matthew Bauer. If you want to. hear more, we made you a mixtape. Just check out the show notes. Additional production and research support from the wonderful Anna Rubinova, Dhruv Chivarau, Lucas Riley, Bethann Macaluso, Aditya Basruar, and my wonderful wife Lizzie Jacobs, There's also my superstar aunt Suman the woman Bakshi and my cousin Arjun Bakshi who helped me out of a giant pinch abroad. The show is executive produced from iHeart by my good pals Nikki Etor and Katrina Norvell. This show would not have happened without the support of my friends at Kaleidoscope starting with my good pal Oz Volition who believed in this show. He's also my partner at Kaleidoscope also Kate Osborne for her spot on notes, Costas Linos for his encouragement and Vahe Gini Shori for her delightful suggestions. I also want to give a little special thanks to all the kiddos who bore with us through this production. Henry, Ruby, Julian, Grendel, Lou, and little Enzo, Etor, all my friends at iHeart, including Bob, Connell, Will, Carrie, Nathan, Jason, Jerry, my New York and Atlanta crews. There are too many to name. Uh, Also Shantan Saurabh, my family in India, my family in the States, my friend Noel Brown, who read this episode's warning. Check out his show's Ridiculous History and Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. And just one last thank you to my Amma and my dad, Zlalita and Umej Hartigudur, who I thank my lucky stars for. Thank you so much for listening.